Hey guys, I just want to say thank you for listening to the podcast. It truly means the world to me. I produce the podcast not to seek acclaim for myself, but to glorify God. And talking about producing a podcast, I need to pay a few bills before we can start the episode. So let me tell you about the best podcasting platform available. Anchor Podcast lies well above the best platforms. Anchor is the easiest way to produce a podcast free of charge with no hidden fees. Anchor offers creative tools that let you save and edit your podcast from your phone or laptop. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and a great deal more. You can earn money with your podcast without a minimal audience. It's everything you need to create a podcast in one spot. Getting started, simply download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started right now. Okay, okay. Let's get to the podcast already. Luke chapter 11. We began last week with those well-known verses on prayer, the Lord's Prayer. We spent all of our time last week on those verses because the Lord's Prayer is so familiar and because it's important that we understand what Jesus was teaching about the nature of prayer. But I suspect the lesson may have had undesirable consequences and leaving you wondering why or even whether to pray. And I say this because so often our motivation to engage in prayer to the Father comes from our misplaced desire. Said another way, the more we have a need of something from God, the more likely we are to give ourselves over to prayer in hopes God will give us what we desire. So last week, as we broke down the model that Jesus gave his disciples for how to pray, we found ourselves confronted with a dilemma. Jesus instructed his disciples to pray that God's will and God's plan be done. We shall seek his name to be declared holy, his kingdom to be established, his will to be accomplished, things that are already destined to occur. We are told to ask only for our daily needs, yet he has already promised to provide us with our daily needs. We are to ask for our sins to be forgiven, as we already know they already have. And we are to pray that we be reminded to forgive others. In summary, Jesus' model instructs us to pray for things that are destined to to be and will never change according to God's word. And herein lies the dilemma. Jesus' model for prayer teaches us to pray with God at the center of our petitions rather than ourselves. Does this diminish your interest in praying? Didn't Jesus realize his teaching might have this effect on our motivation to pray? Well, I think it's clear from what Jesus says next that the answer is yes. He understood that this was a risk. In fact, he anticipated it among his disciples, which is why he moves from presenting the model of prayer in verses 1 through 4 to reinforcing our motivation to pray in the next series of verses. Luke chapter 11, verse 5. He then said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend, and he goes to him at midnight and says, Friend, Lend me three loaves. Luke chapter 11, verse 6. For a friend of mine has come to me from a journey, 
and I have nothing to set before him. Luke chapter 11 verse 7. And from inside he answers and says, Do not bother me. The door has already been shut, and my children and I are in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. Luke chapter 11 verse 8. And I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. Luke chapter 11 verse 9. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Luke chapter 11 verse 10. For everyone who asks receives. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. This is a remarkable picture Jesus presents of the Father. Jesus gives us a window into the character of God and the purpose of prayer, even as he offers motivation for why we pray. Jesus uses an interesting comparison to everyday Jewish lives. In the story, there are two men, neighbors, and one night, one of the men receives an unexpected visitor. And as it turns out, the man does not have enough bread prepared in his house to offer the surprise visitor a decent meal. In that culture and time, there was tremendous honor associated with performing the sacred duty of hosting a guest in your home. But this man has a serious problem because it was considered a great dishonor to fail in caring for a visitor in your home. Remember the extent to which Lot went to care for the angels that visited him in Sodom. So it's natural that a man would want to rush next door in the middle of the night and wake his neighbor up begging for a loaf of bread. You couldn't drive down to the local HEB. Most of the bread was baked at home. Now the neighbor isn't the least bit interested and rising at midnight, opening his door, searching for bread to help his neighbor. He is in bed, the children asleep, and he's not about to disturb his entire family for the sake of the neighbor's problem. One room house where everyone, including the animals, slept together. It's interesting to note that the sleeping man is the friend to the desperate neighbor. Nevertheless, he isn't willing to get up and help him on, the, on that basis. Friend or no friend, he's not getting up. In other words, a simple request between friends isn't always enough to achieve the desired outcome. If that desperate neighbor had been willing to take a no for an answer the first time and walked away, he would have walked away with nothing. But the man doesn't give up. Jesus says, if that man continues to knock and bang on the door and yell at the neighbor, for him to help, he will eventually get what he wants. The story works so well in communicating the need to be persistent in prayer because the situation makes so much sense to us. There's probably no time of day when we are more willing to give in to persistence than when our sleep is at risk. If my child ever discovered this fact, she would start asking for her allowance at 2 a.m. in the morning. Jesus uses this simple, well-understood fact in life that some things can only be achieved through persistence. And he uses it to build a beautiful picture of how God wishes us to approach our prayer life. 
but there are a few points to consider as we attempt to fit this into the teaching in the last episode. First, you will notice that even though the neighbor wasn't willing to help his friend merely on the basis of friendship, yet without that friendship, there would have been no possibility of gaining assistance. These men were friends. Jesus says so in verse 5. If these men had been total strangers, hadn't known one another at all, then it would not have been possible for the man to make the request of his neighbor. The man's persistence would have simply resulted in his neighbor getting angry and driving the man away. It was because that they were friends in the first place that it was possible for one to impose upon the other. It would have taken a close relationship to withstand such a great imposition. The strongest friendships are the ones in which we can make the greatest imposition and expect success. So the man at the door knows his friend well, and he knows that with persistence he can motivate his friend to action. And he also trusts that his friendship is strong enough his persistence won't anger his friend. It will instead result in his friend eventually agreeing with his request. Jesus leaves it up to us to make the obvious comparison to our relationship with the Father in prayer. First, we know that without a relationship, the Father, through His Son, Christ, we have no hope of our request being heard. Just like the neighbors who were able to make requests of one another on the basis of their friendship. Likewise, we can approach boldly before the throne of God only because we first have a relationship with the Father by our faith in His Son. Without that relationship, we have no hope for a response to prayer. John chapter 9, verse 31. We know that God does not hear sinners, meaning unbelievers, but if anyone is God-fearing and does His will, He hears them. Remember, simply praying by itself is not proof of our spiritual godliness. Anyone can pray to God. Pagans pray to their gods. There are many false religions with millions of followers who spend many hours praying to false gods. So the ability to pray isn't by itself proof of a relationship with the Father. But a relationship with the Father through His Son is a prerequisite for our prayers to be heard and to result in any benefit. So first, our prayers must come after we have a relationship with the Father. The next thing to note is that we often approach before God's throne as this man approached his neighbor. We don't seek something from him in prayer until we reach the moment of desperation, until we have a trauma in our lives, a desperate desire, a troubling uncertainty, a fearful crisis. Only then is our response to seek God in prayer. So often our initial response is to simply seek a solution in our own power. I imagine that man spent at least more than a few minutes searching his home for bread, racking his brain to think of an easy solution that didn't require bothering the neighbor. But when no easy solution presented itself, the man's desperation drove him to knock on the neighbor's door. 
We should be in prayer continually, which leads us to the issue of persistence. The key lesson of the story, of course, is remaining persistent in our requests of the Father. Now, right about now, some of you are probably scratching your heads. In the last episode, I was teaching that Jesus gave us a model for prayer. That directed us to make petitions for things that was already ordained by by God in his will. Now, in this episode, I'm teaching that we keep asking God in a persistent way for our needs so that we might achieve success. And so you might ask me, so which is it then? Do we ask for God's will or do we seek God persistent for those things that are on our minds? And to that question, I answer yes. Yes, pray for God's will and we pray for God's plan. Yes, we petition him persistently for those things we desire from him. To understand how these ideals fit together, we must first move on in the text because Jesus himself is working to put together these ideals. Luke chapter 11 verse 9. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you and you will find it. Knock and that door will be opened to you. Luke chapter 11 verse 10. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks will find and to him who knocks it will be opened. Luke chapter 11 verse 11. Now suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Luke chapter 11 verse 12. Or if he asks for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? Luke chapter 11 verse 13. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Often, the easiest way to appreciate the character and nature of an all-powerful and visible creator of the universe is to make comparisons to things we understand easily. So here, Jesus compares our heavenly Father and his response to our prayers with typical earthly fathers and the nature and character and their understanding through similar circumstances. And through the comparison, we gain important insight. Jesus begins by stating that those who ask will receive. Those who seek something will find something. Those who desire opportunities of God will receive an open door. In other words, God will provide an answer to any of his children who seek him earnestly. He will not ignore the requests of his children. Point number one, God hears all prayers from his children. Proverbs chapter 15 verse 29. The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayers of the righteous. Psalms 145 verse 19. He will fulfill the desires of those who fear him. He will also hear their cry and will save them. Secondly, in verses 11 through 13, Jesus teaches that no loving earthly father would ever respond to an earnest request made 
from one of his children for something good by giving that child something bad. If you ask for a fish, you won't end up with a snake. If you ask for an egg, you won't receive a scorpion. Palestinian scorpions can look like eggs when curled up. And yet these earthly fathers are sinful, far from perfect, prone to doing evil, but yet they care for their children. So consider the Heavenly Father, the Father without sin, perfect, all-knowing, who can do nothing but good, would we expect that He would fail to give us good things or provide good things to His children? We know that He will always hear our request and He will always respond and give us what is best. In fact, verse 13, Jesus tells His disciples that the best God could ever give them is his Holy Spirit, something that God was soon to do during Pentecost. Jesus' reference to the asking for the Holy Spirit and receiving him was a specific comment to the disciples. They would receive this gift at Pentecost, and it is the supreme gift for any believer. There is absolutely nothing else that will ever equal it. So the first point to remember in this episode is God hears the prayers of his children. He answers those prayers every single time, and he gives us what is best. Doesn't that excite you just a little? Doesn't that add a little motivation to your prayer time? Do we really appreciate that when we take time from our day and devote time to prayer, that we are receiving an audience with the God of the universe? He is hearing our every word, our every thought. Those requests are being entertained and he has prepared an answer and he is working it out in his timing according to his will, ensuring that we receive what is best. Can we ever appreciate that awesome privilege that the Father has given to us through Christ that we may seek him in such a personal way? But understanding the significance of these verses, especially verse 13, the father always gives what is best. What if that child had asked his father for a snake or a scorpion? What would a good father have done? Naturally, the good father desiring what is best for the child would have said no. And would that child have been happy with that answer? Probably not. I think as a culture, we've largely lost the significance of this point, though we claim to understand it. Not everything our children ask for is good for them. Children have all kinds of desires just like we do, yet they are not mature enough to appreciate why some of their desires are wrong. They don't always have complete information. They don't know the whole picture. They lack the perspective that can only come with age and experience. So they must depend upon their loving parents to make those judgments about what is best for them. And that role is one every parent should take seriously. That means sometimes the right answer to a child's request is no, even though they don't like that answer. I think it's fair to say that we live in a permissive culture. Parents look for ways to simply say yes rather than considering what is best for the child and being willing to endure that child's disappointment and anger over our denial. 
But giving our children what's best for them is the true measure of what a loving parent does. We don't measure our child's love for us by how much they like our decisions. And we don't measure our love for our children by how often we can please them. And so it is with our Heavenly Father. He always hears our prayers. He always answers. We're told this. And he always gives us what is best, which means many times he says no, or he gives us something other than what we wanted. Are you beginning to see how these ideals fit together? Jesus taught that when we pray, we should place God at the center of our prayers, seeking his will rather than our own. Because the surest way to get what we desire is to pray for what the Father knows is best and for what he intends to do. Don't you do the same thing with your children? Don't we say yes far more often to a child who asks for those things we know are best and proper? Of course we do. In fact, we encourage and teach our children to want the right things. Teach them to desire things we hold to be best and true, to follow after our ways. And our Heavenly Father does the same thing. He desires that we would learn His ways and seek them rather than our own. But we could ask, how do we know the Father's will? So we can pray for it. The answer is simple. By seeking Him persistently in our prayers, by asking for those things that are on our heart and then waiting for an answer. And through our persistence, we begin to understand His will by how He answers our prayers. How does a child learn what his father approves and supports? By repeatedly coming to that father and asking for things. Over time, that child learns his father's character and his father's values by observing the father's answers. If the father never approves the watching of R-rated movies, the child learns something. If the father will not approve staying out after midnight, the child learns something. And over time, the child learns about the father's character, his values, and what he is inclined to do and what he will not do. And so it is with our Heavenly Father. In fact, let me summarize what Jesus has taught about the Father in prayer. Our Father hears our prayers and always answers them. The Father will always give us what is best. Sometimes the Father will not give us what we want since he has a plan that is better for us. But he asked that we seek him persistently because only in persistence will we see our prayers answered. And what persistence achieves is not persuading of God to change his mind or wearing down of God's patience until he gives in. Rather, our persistence gains us repeated opportunities to see what kinds of requests are granted. And we, through those experiences, better learn and understand our Heavenly Father's will for us. And over time, His will becomes our desire. And our prayers are more often answered yes. And in knowing our Father better and understanding His will, we may pray for it and receive it. In other words, Jesus is encouraging persistence in prayer so that through our repeated petitions, we might be changed and conformed to the Father's image. Because the real work of prayer 
takes place in us. As we seek God and we grow in our spiritual maturity and begin to appreciate what He appreciates and seek His will rather than our own, God answers our petitions and brings glory to Himself as we pray in His will. For the power of prayer is not in the prayer or the one who prays, but in God who answers prayers.